Well, hello and welcome. My name is Rachel Amaday. You are listening to the Spiritual Exercises. I hope you're having a good week. Uh, this particular topic that we're going to cover today has been on my heart for a long time. But you know, I just wanted to quick review for those who might be new to this podcast. Um, my whole uh, goal with this is to bring you information, ideas, concepts, and understanding of scripture that you might not be able to get on a normal Sunday morning in your mainstream church, or for those of you who are looking to dig deeper in obedience to the Lord, that I might help point you in the right direction, give you some understanding that will help you move forward in your next steps of obedience. My goal is to push the mainstream ideas a little bit and to challenge believers to actually think deeply about every aspect of their lives because God is in the details. He absolutely cares about every aspect of your life and he wants you to notice how you are living and what you are living with and in and what he wants to free you from. And so this podcast is hopefully going to inspire you to think a little bit differently about any issue that you might be facing and to start to understand scripture at a deeper level. I believe that there are many layers to scriptural understanding. There's a literal literal interpretation um, that must be there in order for any of the rest of it to have any meaning. But what goes beyond the literal interpretation? And what are we supposed to be looking for and understanding when we read Genesis through Revelation? So if you are here, that is the goal of this podcast. I'm hopefully going to bring you something that you haven't heard before. And you may or may not agree with it. But the point is that I will challenge you scripturally to chew on it and to actually look at what the Bible has to say about these different topics and really begin to ask the Holy Spirit to lead and guide and direct your learning. Um, and I love that concept, by the way, that we often so much rely on pastors or people that we regard as spiritual leaders to direct our learning. And we often forget to ask the Holy Spirit to direct our learning. But you guys, as I've said many times in this podcast, my time with the Lord on the Sabbath has been so treasured, uh, so cherished by me because God shows up and the Holy Spirit shows up and often teaches me things as I read the word that I did not know previously. And then through many other teachers, I'm challenged to see the word differently. And I go and test it against the scripture. Does the scripture actually say this? What about the original language? And I'm not talking about Greek because I'm talking about Hebrew. I'm talking about the actual language being used at the time among the people of God who were writing these words down. Now, a lot of uh, historians debate on the times of Christ and whether or not they were using Hebrew. There is plenty of new evidence that Hebrew was not as dead uh, during some of these time periods as people believed that they actually were speaking Hebrew. And that would make sense given the fact that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And <clears throat> we get to see that through uh, different styles of writing, understanding how the languages work. Um, but we know that the original language of Scripture, and now we we may not have all the original 
writing, right? We don't have the original pronunciation. We don't have all the original meaning, but we sure do have a lot of it. And so we have enough of it to really cobble together a very decent understanding of especially the Old Testament. And the and then we can compare what did Jesus do to what the Old Testament said he would do. And we find consistency and beautiful consistency and clarity. And so we dig into the Bible at that level, you start to see how miraculous it is. You start to also have to challenge some mainstream Christian doctrines. And so if you're here, that's what we do. Um, today, I wanted to talk about the pattern that God has with his people from the very beginning through Revelation and how this shows up in a part one particular story in the Old Testament and a particular person's story in the New Testament. Why is this important? Well, I think that a lot of time we don't really understand salvation. We don't understand the point of it and we don't understand the process of it. I saw a woman post online um, a question and she was really intent on keeping people on topic, okay? And her question was this, I don't, she said, I don't understand why Jesus had to die. Why did he have, did he have to die as the process for relationship with us, as the process for salvation? And people kept on saying things like, well, the wages of sin is death and he paid the price for our sin. She's like, yeah, but why did he have to do that? Right? She made people stand topic and no one was answering the question. And I, I had to sit and think about it, and God immediately brought me the answer through one of my favorite teachers, but the reminder of the real reason God absolutely had to die on behalf of all of mankind. Now, I talk about this in my book from the perspective of what we understand about science and DNA and RNA and building a body that, you know, the DNA, the spiritual DNA of mankind had gotten messed up with the fall and that in order to be in God's presence without being destroyed, in order to be unified to him, we had to have our DNA restored. Now, the only way to do that, to restore mankind's DNA to its original settings, uh, it has to be through mankind, right? You're not going to put uh, pig's DNA in there and restore mankind to its original settings, and you're not going to put just God's DNA in there and be able to restore us to our original settings. A man has to be restored to the original settings. And so I talk about that through the science of understanding DNA and RNA. And the Bible actually plays this out, this relationship between DNA and RNA and building a body. Play The Bible plays this story out, the story that you see in your body. It's, it's played out in scripture. Very interesting. But there's another very simple answer as to why Yeshua absolutely had to die on our behalf. And that is because of the covenant that God made with Abraham. If you recall that Abraham was in his tent one night and he comes out of his tent and an animal has been flayed. It has been uh, cut into two and the two halves, the pieces of the animal are, are each laying down on either side, basically creating a walkway in between them. This is ancient covenant talk, by the way. So <clears throat> a covenant is different than a contract or just a regular agreement. A covenant is lifelong. That's why we talk about marriage as a covenant. It's a lifelong commitment. The terms are forever. <laughs> and so there's not a time limit on it. There's not a sunset date. This is not like a business contract. This is a covenant. 
And so an ancient covenant was lifelong, the penalty of which could be death if you broke that covenant. But what you recall from Abraham's story is that God wanted to make a covenant with Abraham to give him descendants as numerous as the sands of the sea. This is a spiritual discussion, by the way, right? Spiritual descendants who will have a physical presence on the earth, but spiritual descendants. And God knows that Abraham's lineage is not going to be able to keep this covenant. So what does God do? Instead of having Abraham walk through the pieces and meet him in the middle, God walks both sides. He walks all the way across the pathway that he has made. It basically, speaking covenant language, God says, I will keep your end of the covenant for you. So I'm going to keep both sides of it, which means that the requirement for you to be in covenant with me is that you have to die. I'm going to do that on your behalf. Uh, this is really a fascinating moment, but because God is perfect, when he makes a covenant that is lifelong, he keeps his covenant. And so through the law, we know that a death had to occur in order for us to be united with the Lord. That is the wages of sin is death, right? Um, but also the only way to reunite with God is through death. And the only way for God to remarry his original bride, according to the laws of Moses, was through death. And we've gone through a lot of this stuff, by the way, in previous podcasts. You can go back and listen to this. But God says, I'm going to do this uh, for both of you. And because he made that promise, he had to fulfill it through Yeshua. And so that is why Yeshua had to die. It is because of the covenant that God made. Interesting, right? Covenant is so important in scripture. Um, but anyways, that's just one piece. I was thinking this week about how little we really understand the salvation story. And it's because we have not studied in depth nearly enough Genesis through Deuteronomy, because that is where the salvation principles are laid out for us. And so I want to go to Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, basically what you see is Moses retelling, recounting the story of the children of Israel being saved out of Egypt, being brought into the wilderness, and the journey through the wilderness and what happens to them. Moses recounts the tale, and he recounts it kind of in his own words this time. And so um, it's a different kind of recounting, It's but it's a, it's a retelling of the story. And what you see <clears throat> is that the Lord God had saved Israel. If you recall, Israel was enslaved in Egypt. Israel was not an army. It, they did not have their own nation. They were slaves. Not only that, but because they had been slaves for so long, they had a slave mentality. And so if you think about the position of the Hebrews in Egypt at that time, they could not have saved themselves from the Egyptians. So think about this. God rescued them of his own power they had no power of their own to rescue themselves. And so all of those miracles that we see take place, it is God showing off how he is the one, it is by his hand that they are saved. We see this concept repeated time and again with Yeshua's salvation. This concept is that, hey, you were saved not of your own power. You could not have done it. You were a slave and you were in a cage to the law of sin and death. You had no route. You could keep the law perfectly and you still would not gain the DNA necessary to be rescued out of that cage and to be united with the Lord again. And so there was only one way, Yeshua, by his power, by his miraculous works, he is the one that saves us. 
So we see that, right? We see that happen in Exodus. And so the Lord saves Israel and takes them out of Egypt. They are now free from that cage. But the next thing that happens is really important and interesting. They cross the Red Sea. Now, ancient Hebrew, you know, ancient rabbis and scholars all agree this is a baptism. They have got to go through a baptism. And by the way, we'll talk about this later, but after they wander for 40 years in the desert, they have to go through another sea as a people. The nation has to be baptized once again. And it's because of the process of what they were going through. Baptism, you know, the ancients, they they had mikvahs, baptisms all the time. They were really just moments where you were supposed to be symbolically entering a new life. And so we see the first thing that happens after salvation is that the people of Israel, the people of God, the Hebrews, and all the, by the way, all the nations that came out with them, all the foreigners, because there were many, there were Egyptians and people of other nations that came out with the Hebrews. They were all as a nation baptized through the Red Sea. And after that, they turn around and they see their enemy destroyed. Okay, so they're no longer enslaved to another system. The next part of the process that we see is that they go out into the wilderness and they get to Mount Sinai. This is on the day of Pentecost in the Old Testament, Shavuot. Um, The Lord gives Moses the law. But before the law is totally given, God has them. God asks the people. God has Moses ask the people, do you agree to be my people? Meaning you're about to agree to the laws I'm going to give. The people say yes. All right. So here, here's this interesting moment where the people say, yes, we do want to choose to be your people. We will be your chosen people. We want to follow you. Which makes sense. Look at the amazing way that God had rescued them and saved them. Look at the, the, the work that God had done on their behalf. But they had to, in this moment, accept what God was offering to them which was a relationship with him. They had to say yes. So, and they do, they say yes, okay? So there's a recognition God saves them, uh, not of their own accord, okay? Then they are baptized, right? They are baptized into hopefully a new life. And then they are asked if they want to agree to God's terms. Are you going to be obedient to me is the question here. And so they agree, but as we all know, the story goes, they rebel almost immediately. They get afraid, they get distracted by how the Egyptians were worshiping their gods, and they go back to patterning what they knew, what they knew from their slavery mindset. They go back to that mindset and they are sinful. And because of this, you know, God has to punish them. 
And then when they go take a look at the promised land, they get a bad report back and they all believe the 10 spies who give the bad report and not the two spies who give the good report. And they get afraid and then they sin again. They speak against the promises of God. They speak against what God wants to give them. They they become distracted. They, they want the world. They want to go back to Egypt. They want their slavery. And so God puts them in basically a timeout or a learning curve, right? A learning process. So they have to stumble through the wilderness for 40 years. They have to stumble through and learn what it means to really trust the Lord and obey him. And, um, oh, okay. So if we go to Deuteronomy 3, it says, defeat of Og, king of Bashan. Now, you, you recall, so when they finally get back to the land and they're actually ready to go into the land, they have to overcome a couple of peoples that are in this land that God promised to them. And what's interesting is on the way, God says, do not touch the land that I gave to Esau and do not touch the land that I gave to the descendants of Lot. That is not your land. Okay, so they're not plundering all the way to Israel. They actually are very careful with all the peoples that have land that God has given those different sets of people. But when they get to the land that God had promised to Abraham, the land that God had said would belong to his people, they do have to kick some of these people out. And you're going to see why here in a second. So I'm going to read from Deuteronomy 3. Moses is speaking. He says, Next we turned and went up along the road toward Bashan. And Og, king of Bashan, with his whole army, marched out to meet us in battle at Edrei. The Lord said to me, Do not be afraid of him, for I have delivered him into your hands, along with his whole army and his land. Do to him what you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon. So the Lord our God also gave into our hands Og, king of Bashan, and all his army. We struck them down, leaving no survivors. At that time, we took all his cities. There was not one of the 60 cities that we did not take from them. The whole region of Argob, Og's kingdom in Bashan. All right, so <clears throat> who is King Og? Well, if you study uh, Douglas Hamp's work at all, you are going to see that this word Og goes back to basically just the concept of death. It says King Death. The, the area of Bashan has a hieroglyph in it that is like a giant. You can see it from satellites, a giant snake dragon. This is the area of the snake dragon. This is an area where they did lots of sacrifices to demons. It was a very evil place. The people there were evil. And King Og was like Goliath. He was likely 15 feet in height, likely regarded as a god himself. Um, and because of the place, you know, the, the Bashan, which is the highest mountain in the area, it's likely this is where the enemy had many, many uh, of his minions um, because it's a high mountain. And the Bible says that the enemy wants to be worshipped in the high places. And King Og definitely was either a worshiper of or joined and united to the ancient uh, Hasatan. And so this is death itself. They are facing down 15 foot giants that are named death. <clears throat> And God gives them the victory. So let's think about this process, what happened here. God saved the nation of Israel by his power. He baptized them. He brought them to um, understanding how to be obedient to him. And at the as they become obedient to him, they become overcomers of death. 
Do you see the pattern? Do you see the story? We see that this is exactly the process that God takes his people through in the New Testament. And I think you can see it in the story of Peter. So, you know, the Lord calls Peter. Now, you know, what did salvation look like to them? Uh, this this is a, a time period in the New Testament where it was Jews that were following Jesus. They all believed in the God of the Bible. This was a, a society that was based on the Bible and the God of the Bible. So they already ha- probably likely had a belief. They respected rabbis. So when a rabbi called them to, to serve and to follow, it would have been an exciting moment for them. Peter is called by a rabbi, the greatest rabbi, Yeshua. And he says, yes, I want to follow you, right? So Peter already had belief in God. And and Yeshua knew that he was going to save Peter, give Peter the opportunity to be united to God forever. And he knew that Peter, what Peter would do, who Peter would be. I think, you know, the disciples were chosen by Yeshua specifically because of what they were going to be, have, they were going to have to face down some great evil and some great hardship in order to spread the message. So, of course, Yeshua chose the right people for that job. That term elect in the New Testament, this is one of those times when elect could be used as, hey, I'm cho- I'm just choosing the right people for the right purpose right now. Not salvational, just a choice, okay? So Peter's chosen, but Peter struggles a bit, right? You know, before Yeshua is crucified, we know that Peter denied him three times. Peter was not ready to sacrifice on behalf of the Lord in that moment. He was scared, like the Israelites were scared when Moses was gone, when Moses, their leader, had left. They were terrified, and they immediately turned to another god or another option. Peter turned away from Yeshua in his moment of fear there, but he learned something. He learned something. We see Peter needing a redirection quite a bit. Acts 10, the entire situation with Peter's dream, where God basically concludes the story by saying, listen, you cannot call people unclean. People are not unclean. Stop treating people like animals. They're not like animals. Animals you can call clean and unclean, and you divide them by that. You divide, you you know what you can eat um, based on whether they're common and, and unclean or whether they're clean animals. But people are not like that. That's not how I view people. Stop calling people unclean. And it's because the Jews at the time regarded people the same way they regarded animals. They were treating people like they treated animals. They were calling people common and unclean. And God's like, that's not in my word. That's not who I am. And Peter had that problem. He had that issue. In fact, Peter multiple times has to be redirected. Hey, stop, you know, uh, treating the Jews one way and treating the Gentiles another way right? Stop like pretending you're like the Jews when they're around and then pretending you're like the Gentiles when they're around. No, just be a follower of the Lord. Be consistent in your ministry. And so he gets redirected and Acts 10 is another great example. Hey, you haven't learned this yet, but you need to understand that I see the Gentiles the same way. I see you guys. I love them all. And the Holy Spirit is going to call the adopted, right, into the nation of Israel. They're going to be adopted in, and you need to understand this concept. They are not unclean. You can sit and eat with them, Peter. See, Peter didn't have all the right doctrine. He didn't have all the right understanding, and he had to kind of be coerced at times into the right way of thinking so that he would be obedient in his ministry. He went through that 
sifting process, that process of learning obedience. But what ends up happening as Peter is obedient? They're healing people left and right. Okay, think about this story in Acts 5. It's just this little verse in Acts 5, verse 15 through 16, but it's really extraordinary. So the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. These people that had followed the Lord that understood salvation, they became overcomers of death, right? This is what Yeshua said he came to do. He said, I came to free you from the law of sin and death. I'm going to separate you from death. You are going to become light and life for people. You are going to embody life. You're going to have the living water flowing from you. You're supposed to be separating from death after this process, as a part of this process, right? This picture, this storyline takes place time and again through scripture. This is the process. And so I, I wanted to point that out because I think a lot of believers do not read uh, the Bible in the, with the cyclical view that God has. You know, we know that time is not linear. In fact, over and over and over, the greatest scientists, including Einstein himself, time has a cyclical nature. Okay, it's moving forward, but it's moving forward in circles, in cycles. The Bible says this, God already told us this. This is, should not be news. If you read the Bible and understand it, what Einstein has said and what scientists today say about time should be old news. But we are so Greek and Western in our thinking, we constantly think of time as linear. But time is not linear. And the Bible doesn't describe it linearly. Things come back around time and again in cycles. The seven-day cycles, right? the Sabbath cycles, the feast day cycles, the moon cycles, right? All of these things are putting us on notice that time is cyclical. And we are supposed to be paying attention to God's days and times because he's building something in the time dimension, which now because of what we're discovering scientifically, we know is possible. So when you're in those right spaces and right places like the Sabbath day, in your timeline, you are possibly in those moments able to join all of God's people in history because you're in the house at the right time. And because there is a dimension in which God is building a house, is building a space in time. I know it's a strange concept, but the more that you look into the science of time, the more you, you realize this is true. Time is kind of like a slinky. It can feel longer. It can feel shorter. God can mess with how it operates in that regard, but it's most definitely cyclical. And so you see cycles of things happening in scripture and the cycles of how God works salvation and obedience in his people happen time and time again. 
We're supposed to have known this story from the beginning. Hence, in John 5, when Jesus said, if you had understood Moses, you would know what I was doing. But you don't know Moses, and so you can't possibly believe in what I'm doing. If you don't believe Moses, you don't believe in Jesus. This is such a hard truth that Yeshua teaches, but it's because he showed you what he was going to do right there in Genesis through Deuteronomy. He gave you the whole layout, the entire plan, the whole plan of salvation, the whole understanding. And so if you believe Moses and you believe that God wants you to understand, you are not saved of your own power but that you are asked to be obedient and you have the ability to agree to relationship with God or not. But that if you agree to relationship with God and you let him discipline you and direct you, you get to overcome death. You get to be in relationship with the God of the universe. Again, salvation, not of your own power. You could not have done it. You could not have gotten yourself out of that cage. God, God, the power of the cross saved everyone, everybody, right? Everybody has the same opportunity to leave sin and death. Some people understand that and choose it and love God, and some people don't. God doesn't force himself on people. That's rape. That's not relationship, right? But he does offer this gift. Hey, I saved you. I did this for you for free. Do you want it? Do you want this? Do you want this life? Right? And so it is, um, it's an extraordinary way to approach how you read the stories in the Bible and to understand how this operates time and again. And to know when Jesus said, you have to believe Moses to believe me, he meant it. It was serious. And you're going to see patterns of who Christ is throughout all of the stories in Genesis through Deuteronomy. You're not going to be able to escape who he is if you go study that well. It's why we're all glad that the Jews missed the Messiah because through that route, God brings in the whole world. But also it's shocking that the Jews missed the Messiah because they knew Genesis through Deuteronomy way better than we do. In fact, they were much better Christians than we are. I guess the, the word wouldn't be Christian, but they were much better believers than we are. I mean, they followed the laws of God, but they still missed the Messiah. It's it's really interesting. So you guys, I just wanted to bring that to light for you so that as you're reading your Bible, you start to see the cycles and the patterns of God. And you see this understanding of the salvation of God's people and the process of training them up and making them into his likeness, making them more like him so that they can inherit the fullness of the blessing. Remember those who were disobedient in the desert, it doesn't necessarily mean that they went to hell, right? I don't know what happened to those souls. We don't know. We don't get to judge those. But what it did mean is they missed out on the blessing. They didn't get to enter the promised land. So there's a whole generation of people that didn't get to see the promised land. They didn't get to have that space with the Lord. So they lost blessing because of their disobedience. God had still saved them, right? They just missed out. And and it does make me reconsider too. Like I continue to go back to my series on hell. You know, in heaven, and I bring this up in that series, I think that there are different types of people in different locations. Not everyone, I, I don't believe at least, that everyone will be the bride of Christ. 
I don't think the entire church is going to be the bride. I think some people will have earned that position and it's a special position. And some people get to go into the wedding feast and then other people don't. And they're outside and they're upset and they're missing out. They're unhappy that they've missed out. Okay. This kind of reminds me of the disobedient people in the desert who missed out on entering the promised land. There's lots of ways, you know, there's implications in there. And I'm not saying that that's exactly right, that I've gotten it right, right there. But think about it. Think about what it's teaching you about how God views all of this. And so I just want to reframe salvation and the salvation story for you. I also want to, especially through the story of Peter and others that we see who have to go through this process of learning obedience in order to become more like Christ and have a more powerful ministry. If you've made mistakes, but your intent is to follow Jesus and you're working on that, it's okay. Some some people beat themselves up more than God wants to beat you up, right? God's like, hey, I want to pull you out of that. And I'm excited to see your growth. And you're like stuck in your sin and stuck in your shame. And, you know, uh, I don't see Peter doing that. Peter regretted, obviously. He was remorseful over denying issue. I mean, I think he was probably horrified at himself. But he used it to spur the rest of his ministry. He didn't stay there in a place of just shame. He continued to be a powerful minister on behalf of the Lord. He, he kind of said, no, never again. I'm going to do the work of God. And every time that God redirected him, as in Acts 10, he took the redirection. So he was wise. You know, according to Proverbs, that's wisdom. Um, give good instruction to a wise man and you've, you know, given them life and you know, it's a treasure. Good instruction to a fool, right? You've just wasted your time. A wise person will take that redirection, will take the Lord's instructive process, will take God's uh, requests of obedience and will say, okay, I'm, I'm on to learning the next thing. I learned that the hard way or I was doing that wrong or I saw that wrong. I'm, I'm wrong. I'm going to change. That is the attitude we need to have towards our Lord and Savior in regards to obedience in order to become overcomers on the earth, right? So again, I hope this has kind of helped inspire your process. You're in process. You're being made. What a beautiful place to be. And it's not done yet. You still have breath in your body. God's not done with you. The next moment is a perfect moment with no mistakes in it. And you could do amazing good in it. So let this be an encouragement to you that you're And also hopefully a reminder to you of how God is operating and working out salvation in our lives as believers. Many blessings to you all. I will be back till next time.